Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. evening. God has definitely helped me today and uh, the word that we so appreciate was preached this morning. Thank God for that. It's an honor to be here celebrating with you this 17th year of successful pastoring. Amen. Trouble-free pastoring came over here to see how it's done, makes it look easy, and uh, I'm so thankful for what I see in Texarkana, what a wonderful community, God really has blessed you all to live in a place like this, amen, drove up to the church, beautiful campus here, speaks to uh, attention to detail and striving for excellence, and I appreciate that. I want to give honor to your pastor and his sweet wife. Uh, this is one time that I know that I have messed up by not bringing my wife. And uh, Sister Archer loves your first lady here. And uh, I'm so thankful to be here to celebrate this occasion with you. Love the Calhoun family. I haven't met all of them yet, but I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I'm at a stage of life now where some of my friends are grandparents. And uh, I hate that for them. It must be difficult. <laughs> my father uh, enjoyed being a father. He was very good to me. I love my dad. But he, uh, when my children were born, he said, you know, if I'd have known it was this good, I'd have had the grandkids first. And since my children have been around, uh, my parents don't even know we exist. Thank God to make friendships like Brother and Sister Calhoun and their family. I do know Chanel. She's been to our house, and I, I love her and appreciate her. And I uh, love preacher's kids. I've uh, been a preacher's kid all my life. And uh, thank God for the entire Calhoun family. I guess uh, Christopher's here tonight, and I'm so glad to make your acquaintance and uh, see your I assume that's your son right there. Amen. Knows how to make a good boy. He's got red hair. Hallelujah. Only the best ones have red hair. Hallelujah. And uh, look forward to getting to meet you all. Got a pocket knife or two for you, bud. And uh, on a mission in life to spread, spread love. Amen. Best way I know for a man to extend love is to give a pocket knife to another man. But. Uh, I want to be a blessing tonight. It's an honor to preach with Brother Bo. I love him very, very much. And uh, thank God for his influence in my life. Brother Calhoun, uh, I believe it's been 17 or 18, 20 years ago that we first met. And uh, you may have just came here maybe at that point. But he preached a message about the warp and the wolf. And you know a good preacher has preached a good message if almost 20 years later you still remember what he said 
So God must really love you to send you a preacher like this man. Oh, yeah. Says a whole lot about God's feelings about a church, what kind of pastor and pastor's wife he sends to them. And he must love Texas. Hallelujah. Or this part of Texas anyway. I'm not sure about Houston, but I know here. And uh, thank you for all of the the basket. Uh, I sent pictures to my wife. I don't, she said, you're going to bring that back, right? And I said, yeah, there ain't no way I can eat this by myself. And uh, the room, the, the restaurants, the time of fellowship. Look forward to many, many more good years of friendship. The pastor was just with us at Landmark. Uh, Southside, uh, our pastor, Landmark Apostolic Church, and he—he's—we're not Pentecostal, we're Apostolic, and you're Pentecostal. And, you know, uh, never mind. Uh, but it's easy to remember the name of your church. I'm so excited to be with you. I hope God helps me. I haven't learned how to preach, and I still get very uncomfortable and nervous about time to preach. And I feel a burden for this service. And uh, I don't always succeed in transferring that. And I want God to help me to help you feel what I'm feeling and see what I'm seeing. It may not be pretty, but if I can get the point across, that's what good preaching is. Yeah, I want God to help me. And uh, I uh, seemed like as the days went on, I just started scratching and writing and here and there so I feel a little bit unprepared but it's not because I haven't tried to prepare it's just it keeps coming and I hope it comes out in some kind of understandable way but since you have your Bibles why don't you turn in them to the book of Proverbs there is a verse of scripture that I'd like to draw your attention to there Um, this being my first time being here I know how for me, it's a little awkward coming to a place you've never been before, wondering what's going to happen. And, and, um, but I just feel at home here right now. And, and uh, that's good for me. I'm not sure about you. <laughs> but uh, I've been on a series or two. I, I teach in series. I, it takes a lot to get uh, through my thick skull. But once it gets there, it stays a while. And um, I've been on this topic for quite some time is just confirmed by what Brother Bo was preaching and I just feel like God's going to do something great right now. The 18th chapter of the book of Proverbs and the 21st verse says death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. This is not what I'm going to preach, but it's no small insignificant thing to me that the very next verse says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, obtaineth favor of the Lord. So if you're a husband in here, there's a reason why the wise man put those two verses together. Well, maybe I am going to preach about that. (laughs) 
death and life are in the power of the tongue. My wife and I have a wonderful marriage, and she's quite a preacher. And I know I'm really getting ready to get it when she says, well, my pastor says. And I was like, oh. And then she tells me. And, but one of the things that she has preached to me, she says, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So there is some importance on how I say what I'm going to say tonight. Because I want it to have an edifying effect. And I want it to stick with you. But if you're going to help me preach tonight, I want you to help me. But if you want to remember what I'm going to say, I just got a little simple thought. I'm going to, I'm going to preach for a little while and you're hearing whatever you say. Whatever, whatever you say. If you're going to help me, lift your hands to the Lord right now and ask his presence to help us. Let the anointing break the bread, I pray. God, come in this room, Jesus, and help us. give you the praise Jesus we'll give you the honor Lord and the glory Lord oh I worship you Jesus let's worship him let's worship him let's worship him hallelujah 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 amen God bless you you can be seated I have thought often as has been my personality as a young man quite impulsive and uh, speaking up at the worst times, I found myself on the receiving end of corrections so many times. I, as I grew older and started having children, I asked my mother one day, uh, how many spankings did I get a day? And she says, oh, you averaged about three to five. And uh, I've always kind of been more like the Apostle Peter and less like John. And found out in life I never had to apologize over what I didn't say. And Dad always had these little sayings. We were raised in the country. And he said, son, there's a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth. He said, listen twice and speak once. <laughs> he also said things like, teach your dollars to have more sense. And other things that I'll share at a men's conference. But I come to realize quick that my tongue got me in more trouble than almost anything in life. This passage of scripture tells us that the power of death resides in the tongue. But also the power of life resides in the potentiality of what you can say with your mouth. One translator said... Uh, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. One translator said, those who love to talk will reap the consequences of their talking. The Message Bible said they're either poisonous or they're fruit. You decide. So we have in our lives a great responsibility when we open up our mouths. I don't believe it's an accident that God picked speaking with other tongues as the evidence of the Spirit indwelling. 
the thing that uh, the writer said no man can tame. He says, I've got something that can help you with that member. I'm going to fill you with my spirit and the evidence of my spirit's indwelling will be that I'll change how you talk. Amen. I thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost can, can help a man or a woman get control of areas of their life that they've never had the ability to tame. Amen. What will help you more than anything is not another hour's counseling session in the office, not a, not a therapy session at the therapist, but many times a good old-fashioned prayer meeting where you pray until you get through. Amen. If you're not familiar with Pentecost, that's, that's praying until you start speaking in other tongues and let the Holy Ghost work some of the, the stuff out of your life. Uh, I've seen in, in 16 years of pastoring, a good old-fashioned praying through does better than a, an hour Bible study. And two hours of counseling. Just You know, if we could all just stop right there and, and everybody get down on our knees and pray until we pray through. That would solve a whole lot of heartaches and a whole lot of troubles. There's a lot of situations in life that would be better if God would just help us get control of the tongue. The body has in it some incredible muscles. The, uh, there is some argument about uh, which muscle is the strongest, but general consensus uh, labels uh, three different muscles in the body uh, as the strongest, the tongue being one of the most strong muscles in the body. Another muscle is, is the uterine muscle that houses life and gives birth to these precious babies, these gifts from God. Also, there are the masseter muscles, the, the muscles in your jaw that help you to eat. And, of course, the heart muscle is an incredibly strong muscle. But be that as it may... Uh, the, the, the tongue is commonly believed to be one of the top two or three strong muscles in your body. So the power of the tongue is enormous. Not only physically powerful, but spiritually powerful. James said, in many things we offend all. And if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And able also to bridle the whole body. The human condition uh, presents the uh, potential of offense. And the greatest potential for offending is in the tongue. And if the older you get, the more you should be able to control what you say and should be able to offend less uh, than you did before as you get some years and experience on you. Uh, if you can control your mouth, you should be able to control your whole body. He said, we put bits in horses' mouths and that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. We know that the horse is a tremendously powerful creature, but just a small thing called a bit. And if we could bridle our tongue, we could learn how to obey our master. If God can get control of how and what we say, He can control every aspect of our life without fail. God can lead us in the right path of life. My parents, uh, we at, growing up, we used to have family prayer in the living room. And uh, my, my dad would get down at one side of the couch and my mom, a little space over, would, would get down and they would put 
me between them. My sister said on the end, she never got to be in between them. I, I never could figure that out. But uh, I remember my father praying things like, God, put a watch over my mouth that I don't say things that I shouldn't say. We'd be going through trials and troubles and he'd say, put a watch over my mouth, God. I don't want to say the wrong thing right now. Put a watch over my eyes. And I never understood that as a child, but uh, really I've come to know that saying the right thing at the right time can do so much good. And doing the wrong thing and saying the wrong thing at the right time can also cause years and years of catch-up and damage control. And I want God to help me tonight to transfer my burden in this room. That I don't say things that wound, but say things that heal. Amen. The, 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 the wise man said, there, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we teach our children, be sure that you do the right thing, because one bad decision begets another and another, and one... Wrong decision will fragment into many paths in life that you get to where you end up being and you don't know how you got there because one bad decision leads to many other bad decisions. And, and, and we caution people to be careful what they do. But also on the opposite side of that, the Bible says that the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So one right decision burrs more right decisions. There's a positive aspect. One good word can lead to another good thing. And that good thing can produce this. Amen. So we, we, we can learn that not everything about what we preach is negative. I don't want to come and preach the negative aspect of the dangers of what you do with your mouth. But I want to tell you that the potential for victory and revival and healing and, and harmony in your marriage... Victory in your church. The potential for all of that to be right resides in the power of the tongue. The tongue, though it's a small member, can do big things. James went on to say even a small small fire can burn a building down. All it takes is a small spark and it could take this building all the way down. We build fireplaces to warm up a room and fire in its right spot is a benefit. But you let that fire get outside of the fireplace and it starts doing damage. The same is true with our words. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. God give us wisdom to know that the power of revival, the power of transformation, the power of new beginnings is within our ability when we open up our mouth. Carelessly and wrong place word out of your mouth can do just that. By your speech you can ruin your world. You can turn harmony into chaos. You can throw mud on a reputation. You can send the whole world up in smoke and you end up going up in smoke with it. Amen. I want to have success with my mouth. Amen. It's no wonder David would pray. I, I don't know what you're expecting tonight. This is what I feel. But it's it, David was praying in the 19th Psalm. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I want God to help me keep my heart right because what's in my heart will eventually come out my mouth. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the preacher coming on here a little bit. Amen. Somebody says, uh, says something and then they say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. 4 and 23 of Proverbs said, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Can I tell you the very life source and the wellspring of life is, is derived from the condition of your heart. And you can tell a whole lot about someone's heart by what they talk about. Oh, hallelujah. Do you talk about Jesus? Do you talk about salvation? Do you talk about church in a way that makes somebody hungry for Jesus? Makes somebody thirsty for salvation? Oh, hallelujah. I want to keep my heart because my heart's going to get told on by my tongue. Amen. Do you not yet understand? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 that whatsoever entereth at the mouth goeth out in the belly and is cast out into the draught, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, Thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. These things are the things which defile a man or a woman. Amen. The potential of the tongue is enormous. The old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't believe that. Whoever said that hadn't, hadn't really thought it through far enough. Amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can kill. All it takes is one word from, the, from a person of influence to destroy the hope and the will to live and the desire to serve God. Can I come and tell somebody the best decision I ever made was repenting of my sins. The best choice I ever made was when I decided to live for Jesus. Living for God's not the problem. Living for God is the solution. Well, hallelujah. So it's important that we... Guard our mouth and guard our tongue. And I, and I know you all know that. Amen. There's times that to caution and warn and create a safe environment, we are forced to uh, speak the truth about situations. And there's a fine line that we dance knowing them that labor among us and gossiping. And there is a line there and some things have to be said. Someone does something in life and even the law comes down on them. It's important that if there's a danger to children or family or church that somebody in the know speaks up in a way that is godly. Because we want our church to be a safe place for children. Oh yeah. And, and, and there are things, that there are predatory spirits and there are predatory people that folks, parents need to be warned about. And I, and I get all of that. And that's not gossip. That's just love. And that's, there's times when it's our duty to caution and voice concerns. As, as a leader, I understand there's a great weight of responsibility to keep an environment in a church that is safe and healthy. And I thank God that He sent somebody here that has wisdom and He's balanced and He's steady. Amen. There's something about your pastor. He does something to me that not many people do. He makes me want to be a better man. He's very deliberate. And He's very careful about what He says. 
I find myself leaning across the table trying to listen harder because he, he's so soft-spoken, but what he says carries so much weight. Oh, yeah. When pastor gets to teaching or preaching, that's time to perk up because there's some life being dispensed in the sanctuary. Oh, hallelujah. That is a gift, and I, I, I sense that some of y'all appreciate it. But I'm going to tell you, there are people here that don't have any idea the life potential that you realize because of the words that come from this man's mouth. We're here celebrating 17 years of the devil not having his way in this place. Can I tell you, if, if, if the devil was successful in silencing this tongue, this church would be in harm's way. And you wouldn't be having what you're having right now. Oh yeah, it's because of preaching that we have what we have. And what is said from the words of life. Oh hallelujah, I feel like preaching this thing. You know why? The devil doesn't want this preached. We, we live in an environment where, where people don't respect preaching like they used to. And, and people come up with these phrases like, well, you speak your truth, baby. You speak your truth, my eye. Amen. You don't have a truth and I have a different one. Truth by definition is the same for both of us. If truth becomes subjective, then it's no longer truth by definition. Truth has already been established and settled in heaven. It's not up for debate. There's a lot of spirits in our world that want to argue with the words that come out of this book. But I'm going to tell you they're words of life. One man can get the victory on this side by the same message somebody else gets offended. It's all in how you receive it. Oh, yeah, whatever you say, whatever you say. You, you ever had somebody that liked to argue? And you could argue till your tongue gets Charlie horses and you start cramping up? Amen. My wife and I don't fight, and I mean that. Uh, sometimes we have, you know, lively fellowship <laughs> and discussions. And, you know, there's a reason why she taught me that powerful message about not about what you say but it's how you say it and there's a reason you know God sent her in my life to, to perfect me and we were boy she's doing a good job too I, I have to say so myself <laughs> amen we was driving down the road one day <laughs> and uh, I was trying to convince her how right I was and she had a, a different opinion and uh, I learned right away that she was a pretty strong gal and she wasn't a pushover I guess God knew what I needed. <laughs> and uh, so we, we were talking, and I said one thing, she said something else. I said, no, babe, that's not right. That's not right. And I was trying to convince her I was right, because everybody's right, you know. Everybody's right. And I said, you know what your problem is? You just like to argue. She said, no, I don't. And I got tickled and started laughing. I said, see? <laughs> and finally, you just give up and say, and when my wife shakes her head like that and says, whatever you say, I know I'm in a doghouse. Amen. My dad told me puppy love always ends up in the doghouse. Uh, am I getting too comfortable? And uh, so I just, she say, whatever you say. And I know right then I can't be too far. She never does that. I'm the guy that does that. I'm the bad guy. But there's also another perspective on that phrase. You find somebody that just wants to live for God. They don't care if they get a title. They don't care if they get a position. Anything needs done, you turn around, there they're standing, just like your shadow. 
and, and they say, and pastor says, well, this needs to be done. This needs to be spearheaded. Can somebody uh, go out on outreach and head this up or take the youth on, a, on an outing or amen, maybe something needs done around the church and there's that guy that's standing there. So whatever you say, pastor, it don't matter what it is, whatever you say. That's the kind of perspective I want to have in the kingdom of God. So uh, we, we at times have to, have to caution and we have to speak up when the situation, matter of fact, sometimes you get a letter in the mail that says you've been selected as a fine citizen of this state to come and uh, give witness in a court hearing and a trial and you're uh, sworn in to, to speak the truth. Nothing but the truth, so help you God. I just want to be sure that when I'm called on to speak, that I'm, I'm impartial in my speaking. And when my occasion comes and it requires me to talk about somebody else's fault or failure, I want to be careful that I don't just talk about the flaw in man, but at least try to find some good point. Think twice. Speak once. Hmm. And God help us if ever we have to be spoken against that it be done by a righteous man or a righteous woman. I watched one of my elders handle somebody that had fallen and it seemed like he was oblivious to the details of the situation. But I, I, as much as I knew about the situation, I listened to my elder talking, my pastor, and he didn't, he didn't throw that person under the bus. But everything he said, he was, he was gunning for a reconciliation. He was working it around to where that uh, uh, the, the facts had to be known, but that's all that needed to be known, that there was still potential in that individual to be saved. Oh, yeah. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says that we have been given a ministry, and that is a ministry of reconciliation. But he didn't stop there. Paul went on to say that we've been given a word, and that word is reconciliation. So God help us to use that powerful potential of the tongue to restore people to attendance to the house of God and the kingdom of God. Just because you know it doesn't mean you have to say it. Oh yeah. yeah you'll find that out quick when you, when you, when you sire small children. <laughs> they'll say things that you don't want them to say. And they'll say it to the wrong people at the wrong times. I have an uncle, a great uncle that was, is this all right? I know I'm not preaching very fancy, but you, you get that all the time. Listen to some, listen to a train wreck for a while, and that'll pre, you'll appreciate your preacher. <laughs> but my uncle Kenneth, he, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, necessarily uh, slow, but he wasn't real quick. He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost. He'd get up and testify. And do more in one service with the power of the Holy Ghost and the power of the tongue. But he, he just was simple. And when he was young, the neighbor man came over to the house. And, and Uncle Kenneth was looking at him. Looking up at him. And then he walked around the other side. He looked up at him. The man said, Kenny, what's wrong? He said, hmm, nothing. He said, well, why are you looking at me like that? He said, oh, he said, I was just looking for your other face. So mom and daddy said, you're two-faced. Yeah, if we have to be spoken against, pray that it's done by a righteous man or a righteous woman. 
Because there is one thing for sure. We are going to one day give an account for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. Anybody know what an idle word is? A a, a word that is an idle word is an inoperative word. It's a non a working word is an unnecessary word. It's something that's said that doesn't need to be said. God has let us know that there is a day coming we're going to have to give an account for every one of those type of things that we say. And I'm going to tell you right now, if, if people are the same in Texas as they are in Florida, that would be a good time to say either amen or oh me. And take a little break and just say, hey Lord, help me Jesus. Mm. going to give an account so I came with a burden tonight to tell somebody don't speak death into your marriage don't speak death into your church don't speak death into your life Don't kill your children with what you say about what's not right with this or that. What's going on in our world and in our country. We have the potential to reconcile rifts in our society with what we say. You're not going to put this on Holy Ghost Radio, are you? I hate Holy Ghost Radio. That's ruined a lot of good sermons, I'll tell you. <laughs> Preach it somewhere and everybody in the world hears it. You go to their church, they've already heard it. <laughs> Don't speak death into your situations. There was a time in the children of Israel's exodus from Egypt. 400 plus years of abuse and slavery. God worked through Moses and Aaron and the miraculous to deliver them from Pharaoh's uh, evil tyranny. And on the way out of town, they, they come up to the Red Sea. And there's mountains on each side of them. The Red Sea's in front of them. And Pharaoh and his army are behind them. And the Bible said, as he drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and they beheld... The Egyptians were marching after them and they were sore afraid. I heard this morning a word from heaven said, it's not a sin to be afraid. I'm glad because there's been a lot of times in this journey I've had reason to be a little concerned. I've wondered whether or not there was a way out of the situation I was in. But I learned that there is no temptation, 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, that has taken you but such as is common unto man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with that temptation also make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it can I tell you God's working on your side even when you are afraid there's a way out they cried out unto the Lord it's alright to cry out to God when you get afraid but be real careful what you say when you get done crying out to God because they turned right around and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in this wilderness? Why hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? 
Is it not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than when we should die in this wilderness. And the Bible said Moses turned around and he said, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he's going to show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Because the Lord shall fight for you. And ye shall shut up. That's what hold your peace means. Amen. I, Texas is not my native tongue. But I think that means shut up. Is that the way it is? You know, I got to thinking about that. Isn't it significant that every one of that generation died in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb? Whatever you say, God's listened to what you're saying. They got just what they said. Oh, I'm not smart enough. Gideon said, I'm not big enough. I'm not influential enough. And as long as you talk like that, you're going to be hiding in the wine press. And I didn't come to preach part two of this message, but I realized that when the angel came to Gideon, he didn't say, hey, bub from the smallest tribe of the children of Israel. Hey, you big chicken hiding in the wine press. He said, almighty man of valor. There's a time in your life you need to see yourself for who you really are. You need to start looking at yourself the way that God looks at you. God looks at you and sees a mighty man of valor. God looks at you and sees limitless potential. God looks at you and said, there's a vessel that I can use to get glory. Whatever you say. Whatever you say. Whatever you say. So we, we learned, and I, and I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but they sent out the spies, and they sent them out to check the land to see what sort it was. They sent them to check to see what the people were, the, the, the farming was, the cities, whether they were tent cities or where they were walled cities. The people where they were a mighty people or were they a, an inferior people. And they came back, ten of them, and they said, we can't do this. The people are too great in there. They eat up folks. Besides that, there were giants in the land. They were there for 40 days. There isn't one record of a skirmish. When they were checking to see what the woods were like, there isn't one recording of them even getting a splinter. They didn't get attacked by a cannibal. No battles took place. Why would they come back and get the people of God all stirred up? There was a man by the name of Caleb. He said, we're well able right now. Let's go in and possess the land. Do you know I got to looking at, at what the uh, land had for each one of the tribes. And it goes down through the tribes and said, uh, they, either they didn't drive them out. They wouldn't drive them out. They couldn't drive them out. The tribe of Dan got ran out. But it comes along to verse number 20 in Judges chapter 1. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb. And Caleb drave out the three sons of Anak. He went in as an 85-year-old man. As strong as he was when he was 45. He said when he was 45, we can do this now. 
They didn't change his mind. Here it came as an 85-year-old man. I said, I've been telling you this for 40 years. You know that the people that were scared of the giants didn't even have giants in their promised possession. The one that had giants was Caleb. And he was the one that said, these giants don't mean anything. Walked in that city and said, you, 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 you're in my house. You're in my city. Get out of here. There's power in what you say. And Caleb had a possessive-minded spirit that he saw God's promise. And he said, that promise is for me. Oh, yeah, that promise is for me. You know, when I tell you that there is a revival in this city, there's still enough unchurched people in this, in this area that I could come back here again and it would be hard to find a place to sit. Brother Bo just got done saying that the, the police could be directing traffic. Amen. I don't know if everybody thought the way I thought about it, but in my mind I thought Christ the Rock Church at home Lost six or eight pastors since I've been in South Florida in their denominational church. And the, and the preachers keep running off with the piano players. Sometimes they're even women. <laughs> yeah, whoever wrote those nursery rhymes is a little messed up. Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub. Something wrong with this thing. <laughs> is that all right to say here? Is that all right? <laughs> That's not hate speech. That's truth. I ain't hating on nobody. But Sunday, I got to drive by Christ the Rock. And they got the police department out there stopping the traffic and letting people out. They changed the stoplight by my house. I spent three months out of every one of my years sitting at that stoplight by my house. Because they keep changing the timer because of Christ the Rock. And if they can have traffic like this and they don't preach the truth, they don't live the truth. They just got good administration and they got good people skills. What can we do with the promises of God? Got the best church in town, the best preacher in town, the best first lady in town, awesome music, awesome facilities. Why can't that be landmark Pentecostal church? Well, as long as you sit there and say I'm not good enough or smart enough, I don't know enough of the Bible. You get what you say. You might as well just go back in the bathroom, look in the mirror, and point at it and say, you said it. Remember when I was called to preach? I was acknowledged the call when I was 14 years old. And uh, there was a man by the name of Alan Evans preaching that day. And uh, boy, he was preaching and conviction came all over me. And uh, being a pastor's kid, uh, I saw the good the bad and the ugly. Hallelujah. Boy, it's really quiet in here. And my parents didn't talk about church trouble in front of my sister and I. My parents, dad made it look easy. I don't, I don't know how he did it, but things came against my dad, and he just kept the same old spirit, and he's just like he's this now. And, uh, man, I started pastoring. I was like, wow, dad. <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> and uh, he, he just happy-go-lucky, and his philosophy was either go to the antique auction and buy another guitar or a pocket knife and just live life. Stuff is stuff. Things happen. Nothing you can do about it. Talking about it ain't going to make it any better. So I, I, I made up my mind right then. I'd had it with the church, you know. I didn't want nothing to do with being a preacher. 
told Mama I was going to be a dancer one time. <laughs> if you ever seen me dance, you know I'd have starved to death. Hallelujah. <laughs> I dance now just because I'm happy, but I couldn't make any money at it, I promise. But uh, that day I felt the call to preach, and that's the last thing in the world. I'd rather flown to China and lick doorknobs right now than be a preacher. <laughs> Come home with a, with a case of the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, some of y'all haven't been saved all your life, have you? <laughs> and uh, so I was upset and concerned. I went crying out the side door, and Brother Evans was in the car, and he said, Come here and talk to me, son. He said, What's wrong with you? I said, I, I think I'm called to preach. He said, yeah. He said, that, I've known that for a while. Uh, he said, why are you crying? Why are you, why are you so wadded up? I said, because I can't preach. I don't know the Bible. I get nervous around crowds. and I'm not the best candidate for a preacher. And I figured Brother Evans was going to comfort me and say, oh, son, it'll be all right. And he looked over and he said, that's why God called you. He didn't comfort me at all. He said, yeah, you're an idiot. And I learned right away that God can use the most flawed vessels and the flawed people to do miraculous things. I'm just glad that he picked me. I'm just glad that he filled me with the Holy Ghost. If you think I'm struggling now with what comes out of my mouth, you should have seen me before I had the Holy Ghost. And I learned that when you quit talking like that, you just buckle down and decide to do something for God, you can do it. Dad said, can't never did anything. Never learn any younger, he said. He didn't teach me how to tie my shoes or ride my bike. He said, you never learn any younger. Go out there and do it. And you know, I come to tell somebody, you know, it's about time to just roll up your sleeves and get after it. God filled you with the Holy Ghost so you can do it. You can live for God. All those excuses are just that. As long as you keep talking about why you can't live for God and this happened and that happened, you'll never end up being a success in your life. You'll die a miserable old man. You'll die a drunk on a bar stool. You'll, you'll die miserable and with no friends. Because you said it. Whatever you say. One, one's reactions to God's promises. And I, I'm going to just kind of meander my way through here. Uh, there was two blind men in the scripture found in Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus came by and the two blind men were following him crying out, Jesus a son of David, have mercy on us. And he came to the house that the blind men came with him. And he said to them, he said, believe you that I'm able to do this. And they said unto him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes and said these words, according to your faith, be it unto you. And I learned in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, you can only prophesy in proportion to your faith. I can't do this. I can't do that. That's what you won't do. Because that's what you say. And the reason why you've got more turmoil than victory is because you're talking it into your life. Why don't you stop for a minute and think about this? Tomorrow when you're faced with a challenge that's whooped you every time, instead of saying, I'm defeated, and instead of saying, oh great, here we go again, why don't you look at that problem and speak victory to it? Speak Jesus to it. Look at it. Differently for a change. Your reaction to God's promise is vital to you receiving it. 
just just let me let me talk about Mary for a second. She had a visitation from an angel, and she saw him. She was troubled at what he said. And the Bible said she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Notice she didn't say anything negative. She didn't speak at all. She pondered. She thought. She cast it about in her mind, and the angel said, Don't be afraid. You found favor with God, and you're going to conceive in your womb. You're going to bring forth a son, and his name will be Jesus. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the, the highest. And the Lord is going to give him the throne of his father David. And he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And, and the only thing she said when she opened her mouth was, she says, okay, well, how is this going to be? Seeing that I've never known a man. I, I've lived right. I've been pure. Uh, yeah. Just one of those moments. I'm not going to say what I was thinking about saying. I practice what I preach. She didn't say anything, but how's this going to be? I've never known a man. And the angel explained to her that the Holy Ghost was going to overshadow her and she was going to conceive this son. And he also said, your cousin Elizabeth has conceived in her, her old age. And as a matter of fact, she's six, six months along and, and uh, she was called barren, but now she's with child. And, and he said, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said this. She said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word it was that type of spirit that God picked to be the incubator of a savior somebody that had the ability to have an out of this world encounter rather than speak doubt and rather than talk it out of existence all she said okay how are you going to do this and then after he was done telling her what had never happened before, ever in the history of the world, never would happen again in the history of the world, God spoke a promise into her life, and her response says, whatever you say. And that's the womb that gave birth to Jesus. On the other side of the family, there's a priest by the name of Zacharias. And his wife had been barren, and she was past child-rearing age, and, and uh, the angel came and visited and uh, Zacharias started laughing, saying, how can this be? She's old. I'm old. And that, you know what that angel did? He said, you're going to be mute. God pushed the mute button on a preacher for three months. Because there was something that was going to take place in his wife's life that was going to usher in the Savior of the world. And God didn't need some preacher talking it out of existence. So he said, I'll tell you how I'll fix this. I'll just shut him up. God would rather mute the voice in your life if it's going to speak against everything he's got planned for you. You ever wonder why God pulls people out of your life and, and, and we cry and we grieve and we, we think maybe something bad's happened to us? It may be that that person might be the very thing that's standing in the way of you reaching out and saying, be it unto me as according to thy words. There could either be a savior birth in your situation or you could talk all the potential. I'm going to tell you why I say this is the greatest church in town because I believe it. God wouldn't have put us here if it wasn't his intention. Well, 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 your miracle isn't what you say. Amen. Syrophoenician had a daughter that was grievously vexed with the devil. She came crying out to the Lord. She said to the Lord, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. You still with me? 
He answered her not a word, and his disciples came and, and besought him, saying, Send her away. She's crying after us. She's a nuisance. And, and my question is, is are you going to keep praying and petitioning heaven for the miraculous in your life because the, the other option is unbearable? Sometimes we put up with stuff in our life because we're simply not uh, willing to keep on praying in faith for the answer to come. But she kept on praying. She kept on believing. She didn't stop her mouth. She just came back. The Bible said Jesus looked at her and he said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came. Her response to that was, oh, I worship you, Jesus. You're just a dog. She said, truth, Lord. I may be a dog, but I know whose dog I am. And you're my master, and even the dogs can eat from the crumbs from the master's table. There's something about what she said that got through to Jesus. And he said, woman, you got some great faith. And the Bible said from that very hour, she was insulted and called a dog, but she didn't take insult. She responded in worship. Job had a bad day. They came and told him about his flocks, his herds, his, his livestock. Then they came and told him about his children all dying. The Bible said he fell down before the Lord and began to worship. And he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But bless the Lord, oh my soul. Can I tell you in all these things the Bible said he charged not God foolishly. It's no small thing that when he came down to the end of the story he was, he was twice as blessed as he was when he started. He called it. I said he called it. He got what he said. The Syrophoenician got what she said. Your miracle is in what you say. Oh yeah. Talk to me a little bit. Whatever you say. Do you have the victory? Huh? Has God got promises for you that you're starting to believe is possible? Whatever you say. Amen. When it's all said and done, you're going to look back and somebody's going to be looking at you and say, you said it. There's a reason why we say amen when preaching goes forth. It's not just to pat the preacher on the back and make him feel like he's preaching something good because there's significance in you saying, it is settled, so be it. If you say that for me, be it unto me according to thy words. This woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. She was diseased. She was ostracized. She was isolated. She came behind Jesus and she touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may touch his garment, I shall be whole. The birthplace of the miracle is where and what you say. She started talking to herself. and She talked herself in to a healing of a disease that had plagued her that the doctors couldn't cure. Her situation kept her away from the crowds. She wasn't supposed to be in the crowd that day, but she got to talking to herself, and the thing she was saying was, I'm not lonely. I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm broke. She changed what she said into, if I can just get close enough to Jesus, I don't even need to touch him. I just need to touch what he's wearing. And if I can just do that, I won't have this issue anymore. It's about time some of you start looking past the situation as the world sees it, as tradition sees it. I'm talking to a need in this room. You've been that way for a while, but there's somebody in this house. 
If you can just talk yourself into believing it. Tonight, on a Sunday night, on a 17th pastor anniversary service, can be the best day of your life. It can be a fresh start and a new beginning. It's all in how you receive the promises of God. Whatever you say, whatever you say, your miracle, the birthplace of your miracle is in what you say. I got to thinking, and if, if, if I can get somebody to, to, to read for me, can you, Second uh, Kings chapter 4, there's a, there's a passage of scripture about a Shunammite woman that got a miracle and God gave her a baby. She built a room in her house for the, the preacher. And uh, her little boy, the Bible said he fell, fell on a day. He was out with his dad with the reapers and he said, Daddy, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, he said, Car- carry this boy to his mama. And by the time noon came around, that boy was laying dead on his mother's lap. In verse 23, I've read through this. I think I heard Brother Mahone preach this once or twice times in my life. And I've read through this text over and over. It's very interesting. And I don't remember seeing what this verse said. But uh, the husband's talking to her in verse 22. He said, uh, why are you going to go get the prophet? It's not a Sabbath. It's not a special holiday. This isn't a convenient time to go be looking after the prophet. And in verse 23, he said, No, no, what, what's verse, the beginning of the verse? What's it say? He said, Wherefore, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong, it's almost like I can read it off the wall. He said, he said what, are you, what are you going to say to him this day? Hallelujah. It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, and I don't know why I never saw this before. But what came out of her mouth was, she didn't say it is well. She said, it shall be well. She didn't know where the preacher was. She hadn't got there yet. She knew it wasn't the new moon or the Sabbath. She knew it wasn't the proper time to go looking for him. But all she knew is, is if I can get in touch with that preacher, it's going to be all right. I came with a word from heaven to this church. It's going to be all right. And you need to start talking it. This church can have a revival like it hadn't had in years. This church can have a revival that have the seasoned saints in the church running the aisles and doing the huckabuck. I'm going to tell you there's potential in this city for a tremendous revival. And it's always going to take place when it looks like the worst thing in the world that could possibly have happened takes place. God's setting you up for a miracle. So it went on. The story goes. She gets down. Verse number 25. And uh, the, the preacher sees. He said, behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Verse 26. And uh, he said, run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her. Read. Is it well with thee? Hallelujah. We look at victory as a destination in Pentecost. Victory is not a destination we're striving for. There used to be an old saying in the church. I'll tell you what I like. I reached out to shake some hands when I got here and they said, praise the Lord. That isn't common anymore. Reach out, shake people's hands at churches I go to across America and say, hi, how you doing? I say, praise the Lord. And they're like, no. But I heard somebody say, praise the Lord. And then I shook another person's hand. And they said, praise the Lord. Huh? Yeah. 
and, and, and there used to be a saying when somebody say, how you doing? They used to say, got the victory. Yeah. Did they used to say that around? They still say that around here? We've had a revival of I got the victory at our church. Because I'm not striving for the victory. I'm fighting from a position of victory. Thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory. You know why I've got the victory when it looks like I'm defeated? Because I got Jesus. He got the victory for me. And when I got Jesus, I've got the victory. So how you doing? I said, how you doing? We're not trying to get to a place of victory. We're here because we live in a place called victory. said, how is it with her, with you? She opened up her mouth. She didn't say it shall be well. But when she saw the preacher, she said, it is well. Bless your heart, child of God. <laughs> she started out on that journey saying it's going to be all right. It got to where she was heading. She said, ooh, it's all right. She got that. While she said that, he was still laying dead as a mackerel. Joshua died. They started asking questions. Who's going to go out for us in battle? And they said, Judah. So they went in, praising God, shouting victory. As they were, you, you told that story, it made me think of that. The, the Civil War fella stood up on the wall. Looked at him like he lost his mind. It's about time some of y'all lose your mind. Because the mind you've been working with has been telling you to say things that kept you trapped in your situation all these years. You know why your children aren't saved? You've never spoke like it's well. Oh, I just don't know. Maybe they've gone too far. Maybe they've done too much. Maybe this or that isn't just right. I'm telling you, you'd be better off God put you on mute. Find you somebody in your life that can touch and agree about something and say, hey, we're going to agree about X. And put words in your mouth specific. And you say, what are you going to say when you get to the preacher woman? She said, it shall be well. Bless your heart. That child was dead when she said it. Bless your heart. When she said it is well, he was still dead. But She got what she said because that's not the end of the story. The preacher got to that situation. I'm going to tell you, you can just get them to the preacher. I believe in it. God chose by the foolishness of preaching. Because preaching is God's way of saying. God's choice to speak salvation. To speak healing. To speak deliverance. To speak reconciliation. is He says it. Through faith we know that the worlds were framed by what was said. God said, let there be. Boom, there was. Can I tell you, he still works the same kind of way. I come to tell you, your child's coming back. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm going to tell you, as long as you respond to the promises of God like that, that's exactly what you're going to get because you said it. I don't know how good I was doing up until then, but that was pretty good preaching right there. Attaboy, Brother Archer. It's time to say amen. Been thinking a little bit. and uh, Your victory isn't what you say. And if, if 
Brother Bo will accommodate me just a little bit to take from his text this morning something that he didn't preach. It's not because he didn't know it. He probably knew it 25 years ago. But I'm just getting here. I got here super quick. He started with 32,000 men and had revival at the back door. By the time he was done, the Lord said, he said, you got too many folks here to have the kind of victory that I planned for you. I think maybe the Lord talked to me like that when I first got to Landmark. <laughs> I remember I was there two weeks and, hey, Brother Calhoun, I'm telling you stuff I never even dreamed up and I was pretty mischievous. I dealt with in the first two weeks I'd been there. I thought, man, this world is winning inside out and upside down. I saw stuff I never even saw. In, I grew up in a church. I remember one camp meeting, Dad was whooping some boys and I was, I was in the office standing up looking over seeing who's getting whooped. Boy, I was so glad Mom didn't let me go with him. <laughs> Boy, Dad, Dad said one time to my sister, said, Marissa, you got a stupid spirit, and I'm about to beat it out of you. And, boy, he's beating that stupid spirit out of them boys that day. And, man, I've seen all kinds of stuff, you know. Everybody gets on the preacher's kids because they're so ornery. It's because they play with your kids. <laughs> I got the PKs back. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was sitting in my car outside the church and up front and kind of had the nose of my truck aimed out the exit, you know, because I'd been there two weeks and I'd had enough. It's crazy. I'm going back to evangelizing. I'll go vandalize the world a while longer. And I remember I called Brother Bo. I'll never forget this conversation. I said, Brother Bo, I said, this and this and such and such. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Kevin. I've been pastoring longer than you are old, and I never even heard of that. He said, I don't know what to tell you. I knew I was in trouble. Because if Ken Bo didn't know what to do, there wasn't an answer. So, I didn't talk very much longer because, boy, that discouraged me. I never, I never, I dream, I never dreamed. I, I'd probably believe he'd call me up and say I believe in the Trinity before I would believe he would have said something like that. So I knew right away, it's me and you, God. And I hung up the phone, and I thought, well, I guess if he had the answer, I'd have had to praise him for it. So I called Brother Strevel, and he said similar things. And I thought, oh, this is just great. Thanks a lot, God. I was enjoying life. So I started walking the floor. And I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to pastor. Matter of fact, I seriously doubt I'm even called to preach right now, Lord. Because I'm pretty sure you made a mistake when you called me. But I prayed a prayer and you answered it so specifically. I know there isn't anything else for me to do. And I'm here. And I burn all the bridges. I ain't going back. I come here to die, God. It'd be nice if you'd let me die this week. It'd be great. But I st it started changing because one thing after another, God brought this impossible thing to pass. That impossible thing to pass. I remember I was walking the floor one Sunday praying, and we had a lot of debt. Okay? And I didn't make the debt. Now, I can't pray like this anymore because it's my fault now. But I was paying other people's bills. And I don't want to say too much because I, I just want to tell you the point. It was an impossible situation we was looking at. High, high amount of high interest debt. And uh, I went almost six months without any income. And that's, yeah, 2004. 
my wife went to the refrigerator. She looked at me kind of funny. She said, sweetheart, we don't have anything to, to cook. And I thought, hmm. And the phone rang. And it was Nana. She said, baby, why don't you all come over to the house? I made some uh, black-eyed peas. And she cooked, you know, she put, she put it on you. So every time we get in a situation where it looked like we weren't going to make it, you still with me? Is this still all right? That, that, that we get a phone call. And, and through all those hard times and lean times, I, I ballooned to 320 pounds. We struggled so bad <laughs> that I looked down to tie my shoes and I forgot that I even had feet and they were size 14. I'd been down to tie them and lose my breath and black out. We struggled so bad, Brother Calhoun. <laughs> I found out that God can do anything. He said, we're going to deliver you from high interest credit card debt. And it was $50,000. Okay. Now, I'm from a little town in Indiana. I, I never heard of stuff like that before. And uh, while I was praying, I felt God confirming my spirit. He's going to do it that month. And I was only 28 years old. I didn't have no more sense. So I just ran up to the pulpit that night. And I leaned out and said, God told me today he's going to deliver us from this debt this month. And I got, I was right like this. And I realized what I'd just done. I said, oh, why'd I do that? That scripture came like you prophesy something and say God said and it don't come to pass. False prophet. And, uh. So I was leaning over and I looked at an elder brother in the church. He was looking up at me with this dumbfounded look on us. He's like, he looked over at his wife. She's looking at him like, and the look on his face said, Dear Lord, what in the world have we got? And to his credit, brother, he did just like you're doing right there. He's, he's kind of smiled a little bit and his head is. And as I was watching him, he said, Amen. Hmm. Well, that rattled me a little bit. So Monday came along. You all right? I know Brother Bowman heard him this morning. <laughs> My phone rang. <laughs> and it was that, it was that man. He said, Hey, Pastor, you want to go to Sunny State Cogies? I said, Yeah, let's go. So we sat there and he had a construction business, and he said, listen, if we get this job, and we do this job on the side, and we'll give all of the profit to the church to pay off this debt. He was, he's scrambling, trying to figure out how I'm going to help this preacher get what he said. <laughs> and that's a good man. He was backing me up when he looked up there and thought to him, dear Lord, this, this kid ain't even been dried behind the ears long enough to know that stuff like that don't happen when there's only 32, 34 people in the crowd, and most of them are kids. You know what we just been through? So that night, nothing happened, just like everybody suspected. Next day, my phone rang again. He said, hey, Pastor, you want to go back to Sunday State College? I said, yeah, because I was looking for that second meeting because we didn't get it figured out Monday. We talked for about three hours. Had a good spirit, felt faith, felt strong. And I told him, I said, Brother Bowen, I said, I feel competent the Lord dealt with me. Sunday when I prayed the visitation of the Holy Ghost, I, it hit me and I was running, shouting and dancing up the side aisle. 
And I got so beside myself, I realized what I was doing. And I stopped and I looked out the window to see if anybody was there to see me lose my mind like I just did. I embarrassed myself because I felt so good. And uh, we walked out of Sunny State Kogi's. And we were standing under the little overhanging. And a silver Cadillac CTS drove up. And the window rolled down. And a hand stuck out the window with two envelopes. And it was somebody from the church who the devil tried to take out. Tried hard. And everybody that hears the story of God's perfect plan in that life would never believe it even possible. But God did just what he promised. That person said, hey, we didn't expect this, but we bought a house in Miami less than a month ago. We mowed the yard and painted the outside and we flipped it. It sold already and we don't have no money in it but paint and mowed the lawn. Here's the tithe and here's the offering. Have a great day, Pastor. So I put them envelopes in my pocket. So I'm not telling a story I read out of the Bible. This happened. I'm not making this up. And I lived about six miles from there at the church and I was driving down University Drive. I got to about Sheridan Street and I thought, Curiosity got the better of me. I thought, well, I wonder what's in these envelopes. <laughs> so, so, so I reached in, Brother Calhoun, and I looked at the envelope. <laughs> and I was driving down the University Drive. And, and I opened up the envelope. I said, about, I started bawling. I started crying. I said, well, I probably ought not say what I said. <laughs> well, he said whatever you say. <laughs> I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I cried, and I, I, I was flipping out. You hear me? Anybody know what flipping out is? I was beside myself. I was driving all over like, like, a, like a drunk man. And I got closer to the church, and I turned on to 94th Avenue. I was driving down the street. Brother Calhoun, all they got to say is we only lack $2,500 to having that debt paid off in two days after I said it. Made me wish I had said that a few months before that. And as I was pulling onto the church lot, Calhoun's have been there, you kind of go up and turn left. As I was coming up there, my phone rang, and it was Brother Riley from Apopka. He said, hey, Brother Archer, he said, I remember I was down there, and I saw you had some of them electronic drums. He said uh, they, they bought them brand new for $5,000, and then they played them six times. And they put them in the back because the drummer hated them. And we learned, crazy drummers, you put them in cages. Put old Bam Bam in the cage and everything would be all right. <laughs> and uh, I said, he said, you still have them. God bless the drummer. I love you. <laughs> I are one. Hallelujah. And uh, he said, you still have those drums? I said, yeah. He said, you still want to sell them? I was thinking to myself, we used to sell them. He said, what do you take for them? He said, I know they're brand new and I know you gave 5000 for them. I said, 2500 he said, yeah, that's what I was thinking. He said, can you be up here? Tuesday night's our service. He said, bring them up to church and preach for me, and I'll give you an offering. So I backed the car up to the dining hall at the church, and my wife came out of the tray. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm loading these drums. She said, why are you doing that? Because I'm taking them to Brother Alley. She said, what for? Because we just got all of our debt paid in full. She looked at me. She started crying. She started jumping up and down. She started rejoicing. We got in the car and went and had church. I couldn't wait for Wednesday night to come because I got up in the pulpit before we ever had a song, before they ever hit the first note. I said, it's all been paid for. 
You talk about a service like we ain't never had in years. They started running. They started shouting. They started crying. They started rolling in the floor. That man that was sitting back there whispering amen had his hands up, tears dripping off his face, rejoicing at the glory of God. Somebody got a promise from God and didn't have enough sense to keep quiet. And in two days' time, God turned it around. All I know is, is the church that I pastor had never been debt-free since 1978. Came and facing about a million dollars of debt and trying to restore confidence in the ministry and confidence in the church. And I didn't run nobody off the property at gunpoint. All the things that churches do, apparently. And... Uh, Man, we was fighting and we was fighting. And, this, and there's a message came to me one day. It's time for giants to die. And I said, we're going to kill it. The giant of finance. It's just the same kind of spirit came over me. And all I know is about 12, 13 years into the deal, we paid the last payment on a church that had never been debt free in its existence. Can I tell you, life has changed yeah. since that day. I got, I got a giant's head in my office. It's in a jar, and it's ashes because we took care of what the devil said we could never. They, they were praying, God, help us pay our debt. God, help us pay our debt. I got up and said, hey, hey, stop that. God didn't make the debt. You did. Don't go out and run up your credit cards and then beg God to pay your bills. Lord, I apologize. <laughs> Be with them starving pygmies down there in New Guinea. Amen. Hallelujah. All I can say is speak it according to your faith, in proportion to your faith. Oh, hallelujah. I got some closing things I want to say, and, and uh, there's uh, several doors in most of my messages, so uh, that may not mean anything. <laughs> hallelujah. I better preach good. This may be the last time I get a chance here. But my wife and I were privileged to go on a pilgrimage to Israel. Part of the tour was we went through Jericho. I had some of the strongest coffee in the world at Jericho. That guy was so proud of his coffee, and I like coffee. Brother, I tasted like motor oil. It was something else. And uh, no wonder some of them people get so crazy, jacked up on that coffee. But <laughs> sometimes whatever comes to my mind, I say even when I... And uh, we was in this tour bus, and we were coming into Jericho, and the tour guide was talking, and, he, and just nonchalantly, he looked over, and he said, you see those pile of rocks? And, and everybody saw him, you know, it was probably about as high as the seat, that front pew, maybe. And uh, all I know is, is the Jericho I read about, they had races on top of. And it was a mighty city, and all I saw there was just some, it just didn't look like any, like, field stone, really, to speak of, and... And the guy said, oh, by the way, that's, that's what's left of the walls that came down when Joshua and the people came to Jericho. He said, what God does, he does it thoroughly, and nobody can put it back together when God gets done. That's what he said. So I got to thinking about this story and, and reading about the story and, and realizing the significance of speaking to your promises. The entrance to Canaan was contingent upon what they did at Jericho. And the story is kind of phenomenal to me in that 
the Bible said it was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel and none went out and none came in and the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I've given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor and you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once and do this six days. Joshua gets them all in their places and he says, Here's what we're going to do. Don't say anything. Just follow me. And six days they marched. I believe that's just as significant as the seventh day. And I'll tell you why here in a second. As Gideon was called a mighty man of valor, when the victory was won, it was won when they said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And God gave them victory. They didn't even have a spear. They didn't shoot bows. They didn't have catapults. All they had was the tremendous life potential of what they said. Paul and Silas was in a prison. But there was a resident frequency in that prison. And all I know is their prayer and their praise hit that frequency. Because when they hit that frequency, the building started to shake. And it reminded me of a conversation I'd had with a preacher. And he was putting a new building up. They had a sound engineer come in. And uh, the sound engineer got all the speaker systems up. And he was back in the sound booth. And he had these CDs that made different pitched noise frequencies. And they, they just kept going from one frequency to the next. Because they were searching for the building's resident frequency. Every building has one. I didn't know this. But... Every building has a resonant fr- frequency. There's a, there's a frequency that this building has. And if we can hit that pitch, this building will shake like an earthquake. And if you let it go long enough, it'll bring this building down. Every structure has a resonant frequency. As a matter of fact, even bridges have a resonant frequency. That's why when they do military parades, when the, when, when the soldiers are marching... They break stride and they break step when they go over the bridge because the tremendous power of the frequencies that are made when everybody's walking in step, there's potential in unity. And it'll bring a bridge down because it'll hit that frequency. They say, and I I don't know who they are, but everybody quotes them all the time, so I'm going to, it'll fit right in this message real good. But they say that a violinist, if they can hit the resonant frequency just long enough, that the sound of it, it doesn't have to be loud. It's just got to be at that frequency. This preacher said they were, they were sitting and adjusting speakers and, and there was a certain pitch that it hit. And he said, I, I can't, I'm telling you, Archer, he said it freaked the sound engineer out that the whole building started shaking violently. Shook so violently that the bishop's wife's office, she had... Uh, Anne of Green Gables China figurine sitting on the shelf. That building shook so hard, it shook the china off the shelf in the pastor's wife's office and it broke it on the floor because that sound engineer said, cut that off, shut that down, shut that down, it'll take the building down. Hmm. They, they, They extract that frequency from the sound system's potential so it never happens. I said all that to say this. The six days of marching around Jericho speak to me significantly. Even when they weren't saying anything, they were being obedient 
and they were doing it together. God was prepping them for an unbelievable victory. A type of victory that had never been achieved before. Because when the seventh day came around, he said shout. And when they shouted, all I know is those giant walls around Jericho came tumbling down. Can I tell you your praise is at the right frequency to take down any opposition in your life. If you can just praise God. If you can worship through the pain. You may not understand what you're doing, but there's potential power in what you say. The resident frequency is found as the music comes in your praise. I found out no matter how dire the circumstances got, there would be nights, and I didn't know what to call them. I'd never pastored before, but it was intimidating, to say the least. You've been in our building. You've been in our building. The seating capacity is about 300. Some Wednesday nights, there'd be maybe 20, 22 people. And, boy, I was really feeling like a great preacher those nights, you know. I'd look out there, and I'd see more empty pews than, than people. And, and I, something would come over me, and I'd get a glimpse of something just beyond. I think you call it the fifth dimension. Fourth dimension. See, I'm so excited right now. I just invented the fifth dimension. Hallelujah. Dad's going to ask me, how'd you preach? I said, I did great for about 45 minutes, and then I made it up the rest of the time. (laughs) But at some nights, the power of God would come in that place, and it it looked like there was 1,200, 1,300 people. And man, I preached, and heaven came down. People, it was like we was having conference and camp meeting right there in that little building. It was empty of people, but the heavenly hosts were amongst us. And, and I'd get this glazed look on my eyes. And my children, my son said, oh, daddy, he said, he said when, you, when that comes on you, he said, you get quasi eyes. He said, he said, your eyes go crazy. <laughs> he said, you scare me when you get that way. Cute little rascal. I got quasi eyes that night. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't know what else to call them, but I called them moments of destiny. Because one year turned into two, and two turned into three. And I can't tell you when, Brother Calhoun, but I'd like to say when we paid the church note off that we really started growing. But I can't really say that because little by little, one obstacle after another, one unspeakable tragedy after another. And I kept saying, our church is growing. God's bringing your children back. The elderly man that whispered amen, his son had been out of church 21, 22 years, living in Tel Aviv, Israel, working, living with a, a different woman, divorced from his wife, on drugs. Hadn't been in church over 20 years, and he came back to the States for some reason, whatever his job went under or something. It was in the first year I was there. And I took one look at the guy, and I said, oh. When, he, when we left, I looked at his dad, and I said, hey. I said, he's coming back. His dad just looked at me. And he just nodded. He didn't even he didn't say anything, Brother Calhoun. To his credit, he just kept his mouth shut. See, I didn't know all the history there and how he'd been disappointed by, you know, folks. People they should have been able to believe in let him down. No, he was just out there hurting. Good boy got in a bad way. Somebody said some stuff and did some stuff and one thing led to another. It happens everywhere. 
But the Holy Ghost just reached out to him. And for about an hour and a half, I sat at a table and he laughed till he cried. We talked and I, I carried on. We just had a big old time, first time I ever met him. And his dad followed me out to the truck and he said, he said, Brother Archer, he said, you don't, you don't understand. He said, he's never been like that around preachers before. He said, I've never seen my son act like that. And I looked at him and I said, I told you he's coming back. Wasn't very long. Easter came around. Look who walked in the back door. Hey, we got to have the ability to be like the prodigal's dad and look down the road and great way off. Start planning the party. Start planning the party. Start planning. I preach, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And I, I was just reeling. Holy Ghost was just drawn. By the time I got done preaching, there's tears dripping off my, my chin onto the Bible. And, and old Chuck, he's sitting back shaking. And finally, he just, he just let go and stumbled to the altar. He fell face first in the altar, talking in tongues for the first time in over 20 years. God took alcohol. God took drugs. God took 20 years of mess-ups. His, his ex-wife was sitting back there, standing shocked. I could see sobbing, crying, just standing there, looking dumbfounded as he prayed back through to the Holy Ghost. He got up and walked back. She wrapped her arms around him. wasn't very long. They walked up to the altar, and I put them back together. They've got a son, and he married a young lady, and they've got two children. So I got great-grandpa, I got papa, and I got dad, and great-granddaughter and great-grandson. Every one of that man's downline is in the church today, full of the Holy Ghost. All because one wild-eyed preacher reached over a pulpit one night and said, God said this is going to, he said, Amen. There's potential in this room. It's so pregnant with possibility right now. If you can just respond in the affirmative to the promises of God. 17 years. That's a big deal. But can I tell you what a great start. Because what God's got in store for these next few years. I have not seen. Neither ears heard, neither hath it entered into. I think it's entering into some hearts right now. And I dare you to lift your hands and lift your voice. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. God has spoken. So let the church say amen. You feel an amen in your spirit right now? I don't know how you normally close these type of services on Sunday night, but I got a strong feeling that somebody needs to lift up their voice and say, Yes, Lord. I believe you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you for what you've already done, but oh, wow. We got to learn to start talking to impossibility. Isaiah in the 50th chapter, the fourth verse, he said, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I might speak a word in season to him 
that is weary. I've been pastoring 17 years, only 16. But what I know of God, there's nothing impossible with God. God picked the most improbable young man from the most obscure place and family. Didn't have a big circle of fellowship. Didn't have all the influences that maybe you've had in your life and followed some profound ministry. But all it took was somebody that would dare to take God at His word. Do you know how ridiculous it is for a human such as you and I to even dare think that God can't do what He promises? It can happen right here. And I'm going to tell you more than that. It shall be well. God moved on Ezekiel. God moved on him and he carried him in the spirit to a valley. The hand of the Lord was upon him. I feel the hand of the Lord on this right now. He set Ezekiel in the midst of a valley which was full of bones and he caused me to pass by them round about and behold there were very many in the open valley and lo they were very dry. And he said to me son of man can these bones live? He said I answered oh Lord God thou knowest. God said I can work with that. He said I'll tell you what I need you to do. He said, prophesy unto these bones. <laughs> and say unto them, O oh, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. He said, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied like he commanded. And breath came into them and they lived and they stood up on their feet. An exceeding great army. Whatever a great army was, it was beyond it. All because he said it. Somebody told me when I went to South Florida that that was a preacher killing community. And I wouldn't last six months. They told me, one man, he said, you'd be better off to get a guitar and go to a city that don't have a church and start one. That's to go there. He said, don't do that to yourself, son. He said, you'll be there two years and you'll have a TV. That was like saying sick him to a dog. Bless God, I won't. So we were there about two years and we lived in a travel trailer. Finally, God opened up an opportunity for us to have the house that we have. The lady had already had five offers on the house bigger than what we offered. But she said, something told me to let these kids have this house. My wife was eight months pregnant with my daughter we walked through the house and we really liked it and it was all we could swing and even at that it, it took a miracle 
and she fell in love with my wife and myself and she said she said there's this five foot flat screen in the living room she said I'm going to leave this for you because your, your children are going to need it and I immediately thought of what that guy had said it was coming up on two years and would you believe they gave us a giant screen TV that had to be the will of God I mean duh even a dummy could see that My son was about four years old. We were sitting in that same living room. He said, hey, Daddy, I know you don't believe in TV, but I do. <laughs> I laughed. I said, I can tell you who your dad is. He got it on us. Bless your heart. We had carpet put in, and that fella came in to do carpet. And I said, hey, man, you want a TV? He said, yeah. I said, you can get it out of here. It's yours. He took that TV home, plugged it in, and it blew up. <laughs> he called me. He said, can I have my money back? I said, sure. <laughs> Two years rolled around, and I sat down in the living room right where the TV used to sit. I made sure I got right in that spot, and I settled in, and I dialed the number, and the guy answered it. He said, hey, you know who this is? Yeah, how you doing, son? I said, you know what today is? He said, no. I said, it's two years. He said, oh. I said, you remember what you said to me? He started laughing. I said, just wanted to let you know. Still don't have it. And it's going on 17 and still don't. I didn't have the money to buy one then. I could buy one for every room in the house now. I'm preaching for Brother Calhoun. (laughs) What would mama think tonight? Hallelujah. Preaching in Texas. Hey, this is a celebration. What I've been preaching, you can smile about it because it's for real. It's not just some trumped up story. Some made up, make you feel good situation that we can all leave and say, oh, that was nice. I come to speak to this church. You're at a crossroad. Some of y'all just need to open up your mouth and start talking revival. Start talking restoration. You need to start talking it. I said you need to start talking it. You're not weak. You're not has been. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too weak or too sick. You're just right. I'm not standing here as a guest preacher. With a checklist saying, well, if this would change or that would change, this church would really break out. All I've got to tell you is, whatever you say. Joel said, proclaim you this among the Gentiles as we make our way. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords. And your pruning hooks. My tang got tangled. I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. I'll get this out. Tune your hooning prooks. Spin the ears. <laughs> Let me get this point out. If I can get this out, it would be a good sermon. You can, you can call your dad and tell him, 
Oh, Brother Archer preached just like he sat in one of your classes. Let the weak say, I am strong. My thorn's telling me I'm losing my mind. My thorn's buffeting me, saying that I've spent the best years of my life and I'm wasting it on a situation that there's no hope for. And the Holy Ghost will slip in the room and lift me up in the Spirit. Set me down in the middle of that situation. It may be dead and dried for years, Brother Preacher Man. (laughs) But all it takes is a word from heaven. And you start preaching to bones and bones don't act like bones anymore. And what is past hope? All of a sudden there's a glimmer of life. Let the weak... Let the discouraged say, I'm victorious. I went through a span of three years. Almost every day, there was a voice in my head saying, you're losing your mind. This one's went this way, and this one, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to go start crazy and crazy, window-licking mad. And I'd get up and I'd preach revival. And I'd, I'd sit down in my office and I'd feel dishonest like I'd lied because I preached it and I didn't really feel honest about it. But all I can say is today, got what I preached. You'd never know if you walked in the doors of Landmark, the dark nights, the impossible situations. That they... You start telling the stories and people start looking at you like, you've you got to be making that up. I'm telling you, there's power in what you say. Come on, say it with me. Whatever you say, whatever you say, whatever you say. It don't, it don't matter how far past hope it is. Potential, let the weak. So Paul, he said, therefore, I take pleasure in, not pleasure because of it, but while I'm there, I don't wait to live life. I'm not going to witness when I get through my trial. I'm going to witness through it. I'm not going to wait until God heals me. I'm going to praise Him right now like He's already done it. The battle hasn't even been fought yet, but Judah's running at the enemy screaming, Yes! (sighs) Revival will break out. and outpouring will break out. I take pleasure in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution. In distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Jesus said, and I'm just going to leave this little little tidbit with you. Man, I got everything everywhere. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Come, come unto me, all you that labor. And they're heavy laden. I'll I'll give you rest. And he makes a statement. He said, take my yoke. Whose yoke is it? Not yours. That That just occurred to me. I read in Peter where he said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials. So some strange thing. But rejoice in that you are made partakers in 
Who's suffering? We think it's ours. But the suffering belongs to Him. The yoke is His. He said, my, my yoke is it's easy. My burden is light. He said, and learn of me. i tell you what I learned in my weakness. That's my greatest potential strength moments in life. Greatest things that have ever happened at Landmark Apostolic Church. And the greatest things that have ever happened at Landmark Pentecostal Church are those impossible things that every instinct in you is screaming, you're not going to make it. This is going to be the thing. It's going to take you out. If you can just speak. And this is just my personal story. You can look down your nose at me. But I started, I started in my prayers. I started lifting my hands. And I'd say, thank you, Jesus. I'm not crazy. I'm not losing my mind. I'm not going to a therapist. I'm not taking those pills that they say that I should take. Because I got you, Lord, and your victory. Man, I'll wrestle with He said, what's going on? I said, I'm losing my mind, Dad. He said, no, you're not. He said, I went through a trial one time. It lasted several years. And he said, the only time I got any peace of mind was early in the morning. I'd get up and open my Bible. And he quoted a scripture from the 119th Psalm. I'm talking to somebody in this room right now. God may even show me who you are. But he said, thy words are my counselors. (laughs) He said, son, get up. In the morning. Get Psalm 23. He said, I want you to read it. And he said, read it slow. He said, contemplate on it. Before you eat breakfast. (laughs) Boy, Holy Ghost is after to help somebody. And he said, when you get done with breakfast, read it again. And don't, don't quote it. He said, get it out and read it. And he said... At lunch, he said, after you eat your lunch, he said, the third time, he said, he said, contemplate on it real slow. Read the first verse. And the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Kind of hard to say when you run out of money and still have a month left. He said, after dinner, do it again. Read it the same way. He said, The fifth time, right before you go to bed, do it. He said, real slow and contemplative and thank God in between verses and think about what God is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, son, what that is is prescription 23. Now, y'all go to the doctor. You get some strain of the flu and he prescribes some antibiotic and you say, listen, take one two times a day. Or the first day, take three. The next day, take two. And on the third day, take one. And we'll be real careful to make sure we take that medication just as it's prescribed. He said, I'm I'm telling you, if you'll do this, it'll break the thing. It'll break its back. Hey, All I got to say is, is I'd tried everything else. And his word are our counselors. 
Brother Bo, I didn't go to psychiatrist. I didn't go get whatever they, what, I don't even know what they are. Some people self-medicate. And I'm standing here today with all my faculties, whatever they may be, intact. I didn't lose my mind and resign to church and leave my wife and children. I wasn't another sad chapter in a sad story. This world is a preacher-killing world. This world is a saint-killing world. But the same God that's kept me will keep you. If you got to read your Bible five times a day and take that prescription, do it. Because it works. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Let's make our way right now around this front. Let's grab a hold of somebody if it's appropriate.